Uh, welcome. My name's Al. I'm one of the elders um, at Gateway, and I've got the privilege of leading our site over in the east. So if you're new here over the past two or three weeks, you may not have seen me. And so I, I bring you greetings from the east. We've had a great uh, couple of weeks. We even made it to page six of the Swindon Advertiser. Come on. <laughs> the first article was page 27, then page six. Maybe one day we'll make it to page one. We've had a great couple of weeks. We've had lots of new people coming and exploring and, and trying to find out where they want to be a part of us, people that are not connected to church, people that are not yet Christians. It's been a great start. Um, I've got to say the chairs here are much more comfortable. Anybody who's been to the East has a few faces. Pam, Maureen will know that this is a lot more comfy here, but we're having a great time and we do bring you great reports from over there as well. So we are in a series Um, at this moment of multiplying out called Better Together, which is really looking at what does it mean for us to go deeper as a community of God's people. And in week one, Colin um, described the church as a community on mission, a community on mission. See, we are called to be incredibly passionate about those that are far from Jesus. We are called to be incredibly passionate about being a blessing to the world around us. Just as Ian's prayed, our job is to go and seek the blessing of this town, to seek the blessing of this city, of this nation, of the nations of the world, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But we are also called as a church to be an incredible community that displays the very heart of God and is a sign and a wonder to the world. The community of God's people is meant to astound the world. The church is supposed to astound Swindon. See, we are called to build community because it displays the very heart of God. God is community, and we are a display of that community of God. And we were never called to run alone. We were never called to run the race of faith in isolation. We were always called to run it together as God's people. So this week we're looking at um, a subject, love your neighbour What builds community? So let me just pray and then we're going to get straight into it. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that your church really is the hope of the world. I believe that, Lord. I believe the church is the hope of the world. The church carries the message of salvation of Jesus. The church carries the the, the ability to, to build bridges to broken communities, to bring a message of hope where there's despair, to bring to bring life where there is death. And Lord, we say this morning, I pray would you inspire and stir us to believe, Lord, the kind of church that we're called to become, the kind of community that really does astound the town, the kind of community when people walk in and go, I'm jealous of this kind of community. Let me find out more about it. I pray, would you wow us again this morning, Lord, by a wonderful sense of the church and what it's called to be. Would you help us today to go deeper with one another, deeper in living lives, Lord, together, Lord, as men and women of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this question of how to love your neighbour which builds strong and deep communities, is one that is addressed in many of the Apostle Paul's letters to the churches that he founded and that he planted. And it's true in his letter um, to the church in Colossians, um, in chapter 3, we're going to hopefully, it's going to come up on the screen. So Paul tends to follow a very similar flow in many of his letters. He often starts off by saying, he greets the people, he then says, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, and this is who you are 
because of Jesus, therefore go live like this. Not go live like this individually, or he does talk about that, but he also says go live like this collectively as a community of God's people. He, he teaches them, says this is what it means to be the church together. And this is exactly what he does here in chapter 3. After doing all those things and laying that platform, he says these things. But now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. This list of vices kills community. Slander, anger, rage, filthy language, lying to one another are the very things that will kill community. But then Paul goes on to say, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and it is in all. Paul wants us to know at this moment, as he, as he shifts to start to say, this is what it looks like to be God's people, he's saying, it's for everyone. It is an inclusive community of people made up from every tribe, every race, every language group, every social status, every age group, every demographic in the world is to come to the church and to be welcomed and included as part of this loving community. And therefore he goes on to say, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear loved, clothe yourself with compassion. That's a building block of community, isn't it? Kindness is another building block. Humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul is laying a platform here that says, here's what builds community. When you have compassion and gentleness and kindness and you forgive one another and you bear with one another. But then what is he going to say? He says, and over all of these things, like an umbrella which covers all of it, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Love is the glue that binds this community together. It's not kindness. It's love which equals kindness. It's love which equals compassion. It's love which equals forbearance and patience and forgiveness with one another. Without love, the church does not thrive or function or exist. And see, the Greek word here, where, when Paul writes bind, he's actually he's using an expression here, which is like describing a ligament in a body. That's the, that's the Greek expression that he is using here. And what do ligaments do in the human body? Well, you find them everywhere in the human body where there is a bone or a joint, you find a ligament. Ligaments define the motion of a person. They protect bones and joints. And joints. They define how a person can move and posture and go around. And, and that picture is so helpful as we're thinking about the church because a person without ligaments cannot move or function or thrive. A church without love... A church without the ligaments that holds the church together, the glue that holds it together, cannot move. It doesn't protect. It can't go anywhere. It's motionless. And that Paul is saying here, with this wonderful expression, as of, of course, Paul writes wonderfully. He's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But he's writing, don't you see that this love is the thing that glues the body together? It glues this community together in a way that without it, it does not function. It does not function without us putting on love. Love for Christ first and foremost and love for another. What did Jesus say? On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. The way that we speak to one another, the way that we speak about one another, the way that we serve one another, the way we encourage one another, the way we forgive one another, the way we welcome one another, all show whether we have put on love, whether we're bound together in love as God's people. 
What do you see when you look around this room? Can I just encourage you just for a moment, just to look around this room? What do you see? Do you look with eyes of love around the room? Not just the person that sat next to you. Not just the person who, who sat to the right or to the left. But looking around this room, what do you see, Gateway? Do you look with eyes of love at that person and say, I'm here for you. I'm here to love you and to bless you. You're part of me and I'm part of you. We're called to be together. We're joined by this thing called love that makes us a wonderful community. That actually means that we're out to serve and to bless and to encourage one another. That's exactly how Jesus looked at people. There's a great story in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus is talking to a rich young man and and he says, Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he lists a whole load of things and he says, I've kept all these things. And the Bible says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He, he says, looking at him, he loved him. And then he tells him the, the uncomfortable truth about what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. But that expression, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And can I encourage us as God's people that every time we look at another member of the body, whether they're like you or whether they're vastly different, whether their life experience is incredibly different, whether they're from a different culture or a different age group or a different social background to you, that you look at them with eyes of love like Jesus looks at them and say, I love you, I'm here for you and to bless you and to serve you and to encourage you. Can I encourage us to be that kind of community that puts on that love which binds together the people of God? Jesus says this, doesn't he? A new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Gateway, we are called to do something quite remarkable together in the days ahead. We, you and I, are called to see this town transformed for the kingdom of God. I hope you believe that. It starts right here with us saying, hey, we love Jesus, but, but we love one another. And we're going to display that love in all sorts of different ways that astounds this town. And one of the, um, one of the privileges I've had since I've come uh, and worked full-time at Gateway since last July, for the last six months, is I've, I, I oversee our small group life and our pastoral care in the life of Gateway. And I have been genuinely astounded over these past six months of, of the love and the care and compassion that exists in this body. Have, as I've overseen, as, I, as I've watched the body in action, and I'm not just talking about what we as elders do, I'm talking about what you, God's people, do together. The way that you come alongside and care and uphold from people in financial difficulties, health challenges, even in death, even in relationship breakdowns, the way that the, you, the church, come alongside people and say, hey, let me stand with you through this. And in countless other ways, in that's in small groups, whether that's encouraging one another, praying for one another, delivering meals to somebody that's in need of any moment. I have seen and I've witnessed this community, this love in action. And I can, can I just say without being patronizing, well done, Gateway. It is a privilege to see the community of God's people working out love together and life together. But I also, also recognise that there may be some of you in the room this morning for whom you might say that has not been my experience of Gateway. That when I've been isolated or low or in need, there's been no one there. If that's you, can I genuinely, on behalf of us as elders, can I apologise? Can I say I'm so sorry where, where we haven't facilitated the body to care in that way? I genuinely mean that. If that's your experience of Gateway, I'm truly sorry. 
we're learning what it means to be the kind of community that grows together and cares for one another well. And can I ask you, Gateway, that you come on this journey with us? Can I ask us as a body to say, what does it look like for us to care for people from every background of life, from every different culture, from every different age group, every different social, and the diversity of social statuses amongst us? Can you help walk that journey with us, Gateway? We know that we're not perfect. We know that there are people, and I've heard stories where they go, hey, the church wasn't there for me. Can I just say, I'm so sorry where that's you. Would you please forgive us and, and go on that journey with us together? See, there are ways that we need to go deeper as a community. I'm sure that you realize that. And we're going to be looking at some of these over the weeks ahead. And what does it mean for us to go deeper, putting on love in a deeper way? And this morning I want to look at um, Philippians 2, chap- uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 uh, to 11. It's going to come up on the screen. And I just want to bring out a few things which I think will help us to go deeper as a community of God's people. So... Paul, here, writing to the church in Philippi. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Nothing. I honestly can say that I do things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room who does things out of selfish ambition sometimes. Paul says, do nothing like that. Do nothing for personal gain. You see, love is not self-seeking. It's, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, doesn't he? Love is not out for personal gain. It's not self-centered. It's not about what I can get out, but what I can give in. Love is never puffed up or self-seeking or full of pride. That's not what love in the kingdom of God looks like. But you see, the reality is we live in a culture all around us which is incredibly self-centered and individualistic. I'm sure you see that in every way around you. Do what makes you happy. Do what you want. Look out for number one. These are common expressions in Western culture. And this consumer culture focuses on what can I get out, not what can I put in. Am I, are my needs being met, not am I meeting the needs of others? And this consumer culture affects everything about the way that we think. It creates consumer relationships. It creates consumer marriages, consumer friendships, consumer mentality at work, where it becomes about what I can get out, not what I can give. And it can create a sense of entitlement. I'm deserve, I deserve something. I'm owed something. Somebody owes me. Therefore, I expect. And it creates a kind of expect, expectation culture. And it comes into the church, doesn't it? Um, more than we care to realise, where, where, where we go, actually, I'm not here to serve, I'm here to, 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 to be served. I'm not here to love others, I'm here just to be loved. And it can create in the church a, a, a sense of consumer culture which can exist. But can I just say, the problem isn't out there, it's in here. The problem is in each of us that we are all selfish in various ways. Whether that be at work when you're jealous that somebody gets the promotion that you think you deserve, or when you're in your marriage and you're thinking, hey, am I getting what I want out of this? With your kids, where they want your attention, but you're too busy, you're checking your Facebook feed. When you're with your friendships and you're saying, what can I get from my friends, not what can I give to them? Or at church, because your gifts and your skills are not being utilised, or because the church isn't meeting what you say is your need. That's the way that we can think. And it's not a problem that's out there. It's a problem that's very much in our hearts. Please don't this morning go, I'm glad he's saying this for the benefit of X. Can we look inside of ourselves this morning? 
Can we look inside of each of us this morning and say, hey, where does selfish ambition lurk in my heart? Where do I do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? I can see it in myself. I tell you what, when you're preparing for a preach, you, think, you see things in yourself you really rather weren't there. But Paul goes on to say, doesn't he, as he often does, Paul, Paul very rarely just goes, don't do that. He doesn't leave it there. He often goes, don't do that. Let me show you a better way. Yeah? We're not called just to be culture bashers. We're not called to point a finger at culture and say, look at you, culture. You're terrible. You're wrong. Of course, we're called to hold culture to account. What we're called to do is to show culture a better way, a better message, a better hope, a better path, a better direction. And that better path and that better direction is love working its way out in humility where we value others above ourselves. That is what love looks like. It's about valuing others above yourself so that others are honoured, served, encouraged, upheld, cared for, cherished, valued and supported. It means that we actively seek ways to go low so that others are lifted up. That we seek wherever possible to be elevators of grace. That we go, hey, you're down here, let me come under you and lift you so that you're lifted up out of where you are right now. You're in a rut, let me come alongside you, let me lift you. Let me lift, let me be an elevator of grace right now. You're stuck in sinful patterns. Hey, let me come and show you a better way. Let me come and value you over myself. Paul isn't saying don't value yourself here. He's not saying, humility does not mean you have a low self-esteem, by the way. Some people serve others out of a very low self-esteem and go, if I serve others, maybe I'll feel better about myself. No, Paul says, it's okay to have a high view of yourself because Jesus has a high view of you church. Jesus thinks you're precious. You're the apple of his eye. And he says, have a high view of yourself, but have a higher view of other people. Because that's exactly the mentality of Christ, as we'll see in a minute. If you serve people out of a low self-esteem, if that's your your driving force to serve people, could I just encourage you this morning just to get a fresh identity in Jesus, a fresh sense of who you are in him. He has a high view of you, church. He has a high view of of you as an individual. He loves you. You're precious to him. And out of an overflow of that identity, serve and bless and love others. And you see, this isn't just for people that are immediately like us. It's quite easy to love people that are just like you. I am white in my 30s. I'm married with two children. Maybe it's quite easy for me to love people just like that. But the church is a community like no other, where we value and we love others that are vastly different from us. And their life experience is vastly different to us. Maybe they're from a different culture. Maybe they're unmarried. And so we come alongside them and say, let me elevate you. Maybe they haven't got children. And so we say, come and let us lift you up. Come in to be a part of our family. Maybe they're from a completely different social background to you. And you say, hey, let me, let me, come, let me value you above myself. Let me lift you up. The church in action, is a community like no other. It's not homogenous. It's not this one. It's everything. Everybody is welcome. Everybody has equal value before God. You see, the church thrives when we, in humility, love others and value others as better than ourselves, where we go low so that others are exalted and others are lifted up, where we are concerned when we look around with concern at others, when we come through the door on a Sunday morning and we go, ah, this person, they've had a, I know they've had a bad week. Let me just go and say, hey, how are you doing? Or, or 
and what's been happening in your life, and you can lay a hand on me and say, let me just pray for you and bless you and encourage you. Go low, be an elevator. Can I just say, can we be elevators of grace wherever we go? Every time we encounter one another, not just in this room with God's people, but everywhere we go, but let us be elevators of grace. Let us come underneath people and say, hey, let me come underneath you and elevate you. Wherever you are right in life, wherever you're struggling right now, let me lift you up. Let me lift you up. That's what it means to value others as better than yourselves. And there's one question and challenge that I want us to kind of live with. This is a personal thing to go away and to think and chat about in small groups over the course of this week is this. How and where can you value others above yourself? How and where can you value others above yourself? How and where? That's a question I'd love you to go away and think about. I just want to say this very clearly as well. I recognize that there are sometimes seasons of life, maybe health challenges or, tra- or when tragedy strikes. That means that your heart might say, I want to serve other people, but actually you're in a phase of life where that is not practical or realistic. Your heart is toward people, but you know what? There's a phase of life, there's a, there's a tragedy or there's health challenges. And I just want to say there's grace for that. That's okay. There are times when you need to be the recipient of the love of this community more than you can give at that particular moment. There are times when that is okay. So please don't have a heavy burden this morning. If you're here this morning and and there's things happening in your life, there's tragedy, there's circumstance, which actually mean right now you're the recipient of the love of this community. That's okay. I recognize that. I want to say that's okay. Please receive the love of this community. Knowing that one day, in the days ahead, you'll be able to kind of go, hey, let me look to bless others in the days ahead. I recognize that. I just want to say that because I don't want anyone to go away feeling condemned or beat up. We're under grace as God's people. And actually, sometimes we get to be the recipients, and sometimes we get to give. But it's actually about what's in our heart to do. It's what's in our heart to do. And then Paul goes on to say this, doesn't he? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's a, there's a, he continues right here in the same vein, doesn't he? We're not just called to be concerned with our own interests, but also with the interests of others. Most of the other translations of the Bible would, would actually have this. It say, not looking only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, Paul isn't saying neglect your own interests. In my life, my walk with God, my marriage, my children, my finances, I'm not to neglect those. But if that's as far as my love extends, then I've missed what it means to be in the community of God's people. I've missed what it means to to say, I'm not only meant to be concerned with these things. I'm not only meant to be concerned with my house and my money and my family. My sphere is supposed to extend a lot wider. My sphere is supposed to say, I'm also interested and care about what's happening in the lives of others around you. The word interest here is very broad. You could say something like this. Don't look only to your own finances your own friendships, your own comfort, your own property, your own family, your own marriage, your own joy, your own success. Don't just think about those things. Don't just dwell on them. Don't just desire them. Don't just care for those things. Sure, do care for them. But if that's as far as it extends, that's not love in the kingdom of God. Because love goes further. Love says, I'm interested in this community around me. 
but instead look to the finances of others, look to others' friendship, look to others' comfort and property and family and marriage. Find ways to bless somebody who is financially struggling. Find ways to build relationships with those who are isolated. Find ways to come alongside families who are struggling. Take joy in seeking to make others joyful. Take joy in encouraging the gifts of God in other people. Think about how you can share the property that God has given you, whether that be your finances or your home or your car or your time. And Paul finishes this section of scripture after giving us the, the instruction, if you like, after giving us that this is what it looks like. He then says, how do you do it? How do you go about doing this? And then he, he gives this wonderful exhortation of Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Very simply, how this works out is we look and we have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. We are called to be imitators of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He comes on a rescue mission. A king becomes a servant. A king comes to serve and not to be served. Read the Gospels and what do you see? You see perfect love in action. You see Jesus going low and humbling himself that others are lifted up. You'll see a king who makes his home amongst us, who walks with humility, who's always seeking to love and to bless and to honour others. And that's not limited just to those that are like him. It extended to the tax collectors, the rich, the Pharisees, prostitutes, sinners, the poor, the sick, the broken, people from different people groups. And ultimately, he humbled himself to the point of death, carrying our shame, carrying our sin, in the most horrific way, beaten, scorned, shamed, and mocked. He hangs there in the ultimate example of love and humility. And even on the cross, in his final moments, he turns to the thief, doesn't he? And he says, when he, when he says, he says, you'll be with me in paradise. He's thinking about others. And he, says, he cries out to his father, Father, forgive them. Even in his darkest hour, what is Jesus doing? He's looking at others. Jesus modelled a life of humility, of going low, so that others are exalted and lifted up. John Piper says this, Christ loved us and died for us and forgave us and accepted us and justified us and gave us eternal life and made us heirs of the world when he owed us nothing. He treated us as worthy of his service when we were not worthy. He took thought not only for his own interests, but for ours. He counted us as greater than himself. He counted us, he counted you as greater than himself. And because of that, we now get the privilege of counting others as greater than ourselves as we imitate 
him. That is where our humility comes from. We feel overwhelmed by God's grace. John Piper says this, Christians are stunned into lowliness. Christians are stunned into humility. Freely we have received, freely we give. Freely we have been served, freely we serve. Can I just get a, the band to come up? We're just going to go back into a time of worship um, just in a few moments. But I want us, as we come back into a time of worship, to first and foremost be astounded by what Jesus has done. We're not, everything flows out of a people who love and pursue Jesus passionately. Those who love and pursue Jesus are those that imitate him. Those that imitate him will love others like Christ loved us. Gateway, he counted you as greater than himself. That should stir up in us a heart of worship and praise. In a bit, we're going to pray for one another, I'm sure. But right now, we get the privilege of coming before God and saying, what an astonishing God that we serve and that we worship. Can I just encourage you just to stand? I just want to close with this and then, and then the guys are going to just lead us at a time of worship and praise. And that's where it starts, isn't it? It starts with us going, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. Jesus was God. He is God. He was reigning and ruling all creation subject to him. He was before all things and he held all things together. Yet he takes on the form of a servant. Maybe just close your eyes and just hold out your hands, just if you're comfortable with that. It... He became human flesh. With all its weaknesses, he thirsted, he hungered, he knew despair, rejection, bereavement, loneliness, torture, and imprisonment. But if that wasn't enough, the Bible says he humbled himself, even to death on a cross. He counted you as greater than himself. He counted you as greater than himself. Therefore, Gateway, he is now exalted and worthy to be worshipped and praised. He is worthy to be exalted. He is worthy to be magnified and lifted up. And as we pursue him, we imitate him. And as we imitate him, we pour out the same sacrificial love for others that Christ Jesus poured out for us. We will count others as greater than ourselves. From all of this, community flows. From all of this flows a community of God's people that love one another are a people that have been so won over by the love of Jesus and loving him. And out of an overflow of that comes a sacrificial community that goes low and humbles themselves so that others are lifted and elevated. Let's just spend a bit of time worshipping together. Let's just enjoy saying, Jesus, you are worthy of all the praise and affections of our heart. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. 